0: You saw the second portion of Psalm 119, and you all were as morning as well, Psalm 119. It uh, has been about five six months, probably, that we get a section from this lengthy psalm. And today, I would like to cover verse 57 to 64 this is the eighth stanza. And it goes like this. Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said unto <coughs> thy words. I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me, according to thy words. I taught of my ways and turned my feet into their testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. The bands of the wicked have broke me, but I have not forgotten thy love. At midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee, because of thy righteousness, righteous judgment. I am a companion of all them that fear thee, and of them that keep thy precepts. The earth, oh O Lord, is full of thy mercy. Teach me thy statutes. So, Father, we hear you God's Word. Let us pray. Oh, Almighty God, Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to once again open your words every day. And Father, we thank you for um, what we see in your word as we open it, always because you want to teach us. Father, I pray that you also today, your spirit will enlighten us helps to see, what we need to know and learn from the word once again. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. So we have seen uh, in a previous, a previous stanza that the psalmist is focused on the word of God. He receives much comfort, hope, joy, and delight, especially in times of trouble. When I read this lengthy psalm 119, I see that the writer of it truly believes that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, that it is profitable for doctrine, for the truth, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. He loves the Lord and the Word of God, and it is his standard to live by. He believes in the promises of the Word of God. So now today, um, in this sermon I have three sections, two points if you will. One is the grace of God, two, the ways of God, and three, the mercy of God. So one, the grace of God. Then looking back at verse 56, we see a link between our last section and our first verse. 57, here today, where, where it says, I kept thy precepts. And in 57, I have said that I would keep thy words. I kept the precepts, keep thy words. So now he's going to expand on this, in this stanza. We see in our section of scripture today that the psalmist lays out before us his assurance of faith. He talks about his salvation in verse 57, as the Lord being his portion. What another way of saying is that the Lord is my inheritance. The Lord has given him salvation and eternal life, a portion of undeserved favor from the Lord by the grace of God he received from the promises of God. He talks about my portion, my portion, that he received personally the Lord as his portion. This means that he personally had a relationship with the Lord. He trusts the Lord, therefore, obedience flows out of this relationship, as we will see later. You see in Psalm 16 that David wrote, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance. Likewise in Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart fills. But God is the strength of my heart. I force you forever. The prophet Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations 3 that after uh, the Israelites, after, that after Israel, Israel, the, Israel, the Israelites' rejection of God, and then they were led into captivity. Uh, and it says there, this I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is their faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore will I hope in you. The Lord is good pray for him, to the soul that seeks him see the Lord is their portion. In those different passages, their inheritance, their strength and their hope, it was personal for each one of them. Do you remember when Joshua led the Israelites out of the desert to the Jordan River into the promised land? There the Lord gave each of the tribes a portion of land, except the tribe of Levi. The Lord had something better for them. The Lord said, I will be your portion. I will be your inheritance. The Levites served God among the people as God himself was to them their lot and portion. The land of the other tribes represented blessing and prosperity and God's favor. And yet the Levites, as priests of God, their treasure was to be God himself, set apart, holy holy to him. And this is what the psalmist is saying here in verse 57. Thou art my portion, O Lord, my Savior and my God. I'm holy to you. How is that for us? We all want some portion of life, something to claim as our own. Preferable arts portion. Something like most of the tribes of Israel, some land flowing with milk and honey. Some of us came from the from the west or from the east to settle here in this province, maybe looking for a place flowing with milk and honey. I think we all look for a portion of some sort in life. It must be a satisfying portion, a portion that gives peace, comfort and happiness. But we need to know that just as the Israelites who received land as their portion, which was only material good and prosperity, prosperity we also, when we receive material goods and prosperity, need to remember that these are only temporal goods. Surely, there are many satisfying pleasures, but they will not last. I am reminded of what I read the other day, by uh, Dr. Peter Masters from a booklet. He wrote about vanity of vanities. He wrote, and I quote, remember Solomon with all his splendor. He talked, he had it all. He had vast wealth. He had every opportunity to indulge himself to his heart's desire. Before his conversion to God, he tried every imaginable recipe happiness (coughs) for happiness <coughs> experimenting with almost everything that excited him mentally and bodily that when he looked back over the years he pronounced this verdict on it all vanity of vanities what did he mean by vanity it means emptiness or pointlessness it refers to things that are insubstantial and passive take God out of life and all Allah's fertility. In the end, this portion would not satisfy me. But you may say, well, that was his experience, but mine will be different. There are many things which excite me and it's I intend to get involved in. There is a tremendous potential in life. I must much to do, to learn, to discover and aim to make my life full and satisfying. But Solomon urges us to think this through using many persuasive arguments. Read it for yourself in the book of Ecclesiastes or as a starter in this little booklet I'm referring to, and I saw this one on the back table, if you like. But let us look to Jesus, to the Lord Jesus as our portion. The Lord Jesus is our only hope for true meaning in life and into eternity. It says in the Halliburton Catechism question answer number one. Many of us know this maybe by heart. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins, the precious blood, and has set me free from all the power of the devil. Then the psalmist said in the second half of verse 57, O Lord, I have said that I will keep thy words. And is this not the desire of every believer who came to faith and received the Spirit of God? That we like want now to live a life of obedience according to his word? Not judgingly. Or hypocritically, but out of desire and love for our Lord. And it is important that we look at our motives for obedience as well, and what this should be. We don't obey God in order to somehow gain favour with God as a credit that will make us right with Him or gain. uh, Again is a place in heaven. No, our motive is the great love of God, who sent his Son Jesus Christ, the sinless Savior, who took our place on this awful cross county for every repentant sinner who put his faith in him. And this is exactly when Jesus came to earth here two thousand years ago, isn't it? We remember this love of God every <coughs> Christmas season. Really every day or every sunday when we come together but in the christmas season let we sing of joy to the world the lord is come let every earth receive her king let every heart prepare in room and have a nature sing this jesus is a portion for every believer our savior and, and he will lie he will lead and guide us with his spirit we can pray for this Just like the psalmist Psalmist did um, throughout this great psalm 119. This will lead us to our second point, the ways of God. You see here in verse 58 that the psalmist entreated or sought the favor of God with his whole heart. His delight in the Lord as a portion leads him to ask or to seek. The Lord's favor. He prayed be merciful unto me. According to your word. You see. Even though he said. I will keep your word. He still asked for the Lord's favor. To be strengthened. And encouraged. In his ways. And let me forget that the psalmist just like us. Was still a sinner. He needed to ask for forgiveness of sin. But still applied to him. We need to examine our lives and repent of our sins. Now thank God for his spirit in every believer so we can read the word of God with biblical glasses. Now we can apply the word to our life. He speaks again of God's great mercy. and we read in verse 59 that the psalmist says he taught on his ways. Another way of saying is, I reflect and consider my ways. And the writer did this and came to the conclusion to turn his life to the ways of the Lord and turn my feet into their testimonies, it says. Now, no one ever was converted to Christ without reflecting and thinking on the path he is on. Multitudes live for the world. Forget God and die. News translation of Psalm 9 verse 17. We all need to reflect on our lives, realizing that we have a soul, which is eternal. I need to consider what way I'm on. Am I on the broad way, which leads to destruction, or am I on the narrow way, that leads to life? For an unbeliever to stay on the broad way will perish. And I urge everyone Here's outside of Christ. Stop and think. Look at the path you're on and turn to Christ. And Christian, if you're going to be serious about obeying God, you have to consider your ways as well. How are you doing in your obedience to God? We read in Haggai, Chapter one twice that God uses these very words with the people with the people of Israel and tells them Consider your ways. He said to them, You have so much and bring little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled to drink, you clothe it yourselves. But there's no one warm. And he that earns wages earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. So the Lord says, "Consider your ways. Look what is happening in your life. Shouldn't you stop and evaluate why things are the way they are? Did you consider your ways?" The Lord says again. They were all living in comfort in sealed houses, while the temple of the house, the temple, the house of God, lay in waste. It says. God said they needed to consider what was going on with their lives, that what was happening to them was a result of lack of obedience. And so after Haggai, the prophet rebuked the people. Then they finally obeyed the voice of, the of God, and the people did fear the Lord, and they turned the ways of the Lord, it says. After the psalmist considered his ways, the second half of 59, uh, he says, he turned his feet and to their testimonies. He then intensely turned his feet. He turned to the ways of the Lord based on the word of God. This is what I read in the Bible, It say. It tells me to follow Jesus, to believe, and to trust and obey. Now we still see progression in our text. He not only considered the ways and turned his feet but here in verse 16 we see he made haste and delayed not. He was quick to respond to God's word. Now there are many examples in the Bible about to haste and not delay to be obedient. Negatively like we saw in the story of Haggai. Then we saw he uh, little the response. And finally, after the rebuke that the prophet, they obeyed. But also, let us briefly look at some, who hastily obeyed. For example, in Luke 19, we know the story of Zacchaeus, who climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus. And Jesus came to the place, up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must abide at your house. And he made haste, came down, and he seized him joyfully. We see in Matthew 2 story um, of the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And be down there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So when he arose, he took the young child from his mother by night and departed into Egypt. See, promptly Joseph rose after awakening from his dream and prepared at once to obey the command to feed Egypt, Mary and Jesus for their safety. Take Philip. Philip was told by an angel in Acts 8 to leave the area where they were preaching in Samaria and go to the desert. And it says in verse 27 he arose and went. He instantly obeyed. And it was vital that he did. When he went south on that road, he came across the Ethiopian eunuch, whom he was able to lead to the Lord. And history tells us that a strong church arose in Ethiopia, most likely as a result of Philip's instant rebellion. Had he delayed, he might have missed a divine appointment. You may not hear the voice of an angel, but you have the word of God without instructions to obey without delay. Now there are some other aspects we can touch on regarding making haste without delay to keep commandments of God, and it is this: first, believer, is there an area in your life that you know you need to correct, to get in line with His word? Do you have to make anything right with a brother or sister or neighbor? Do you have to make peace with God on something? Make haste to go to work. Will it be easy? No, not always. But be on the watch to hear the shepherd's voice, even if it be, if be the voice or the word of it. Prove or rebuke. Make haste, delay not. Delay often things guilt to conscience. Make it right with man and God. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians (coughs) 6.1, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. He talks about the gracious offer by Jesus of exiliation and pardon. Let it not be in vain. This is a warning. Another example. Um, serving. Has the Lord impressed on you the importance of helping someone someone with something? To visit someone who's lonely or sick, mentioned earlier, especially during Christmas time. And to minister to someone with the word of God and prayer. Don't say, I'll do it sometime. Do it now. Remember the old expression: "Delayed obedience, no obedience." The time of our obedience must be now. Serve the Lord with gladness, says the Psalmist. Brings us to our third point: the mercy of God. maybe we look at our next verse, 61, we see here that the Psalmist. Again he reminds us of his time of trial when he said the bands the bands of the wicked have roped him. The courts of the wicked are all around him. He may have felt trapped in some way, but he said that was no reason for him not to keep God's law. Trials and difficulties are not to be used and as an excuse to compromise the standard the Lord is giving us. Look at me, at the story of Job. Let's turn to Job 1. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in mother's house, and there came a messenger unto Job, and said, The oxen were plowing and gas feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the heads of the sword, and I am only, I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God is falling from heaven and had burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet, yet speaking, there came also another, and said, Galveans made out three bands and fell upon the cows, and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the ants of the sword, and I only am escaped uncle to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, Thy sons and their daughters were the drink and drinking, finding their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone. to tell me, Then Job arose, and rent his mantle, and saved his head, and fell down upon the ground, and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not nor charged God with story. But after hearing of the terrible calamities, he rent his mantle as an expression of grief. He shaved his head as an expression of great sorrow. He fell down on the ground as an act of romance, partly an expression of grief and partly as an act of devotion. solemnly bowing before God in time time of great trial. And then he said, and then he worshiped God. He gave himself over to the will of God. Job, just like you see in verse 61, had not forgotten the Lord, nor nor God's law, for it was written on his heart. For he believed that only God in his products could sustain him. And that is how he was able to worship the Lord. And so our faith will be tested at times as well. We are always spared for hardship or calamities. And many of us know. How did we stand? How will we prepare? Are we prepared? Psalm 33 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death, and to keep them alive and found. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, but our hearts shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O oh Lord, be upon us, according as we hope in Can we say that the psalmist, verse 92 of this psalm, unless thy law has been my delight, I should then have perished in my affliction. Let the word of God shake us and change us. It will give us hope and strength in good times and hard times. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy heart and my staff, they comfort me. We see this also come out in our next verse, verse 62. At midnight, I will rise to give thanks unto thee, because of thy righteous judgment. At midnight, he rose out of bed. He didn't stay in bed, half sleeping, and did a little prayer. Thanksgiving. No, he shook off sleep and praised God. Much like we see in in Psalm 149 five, let the saints be joyful in glory, let them sing aloud on their beds. We have seen this earlier in this psalm in verse 55, I remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night, and I've kept them warm. Now then he remembered, verse 55, now he thanked the Lord, in the night for his righteous judgments. Look at me at verse 147 in the same psalm here. 147. The next page over. I prevented the dawning of the Lord, and cried and my words. Similar, 148. My eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in my words. And look down at 164. Seven times a day I do praise. See, it's a team that comes back and back all the time. Sometimes he may have spent time in overwhelming overwhelming sorrow. But now they're given to times of praise. Even in the middle of the night. Think of Paul and Silas when they were in jail for preaching the gospel. At night they prayed and sang songs to praise the praise God. Now, is this not a great lesson for us? To earnestly seek the Lord, no matter the time of day, pray and give thanks for his goodness and righteousness, even if his circumstances may be difficult. When you look at verse 63, this verse shows uh, for us a place to be. A place where people fear and love the Lord and who keep God's commandments. The psalmist was there. He accompanied them. Here's an important point. The people we fellowship with will either encourage or hinder us to walk in obedience with the Lord. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, be not deceived, evil company corrupts good manners. And the Bible is clear about saying that the people you hang out with will affect the way you walk with God. Young people, how many testimonies have you heard from the, from people who said that their friends let them in the wrong crowd? And let those of us who live or work in close contact with the world, as in those who live in godly lives. Use much discernment to know not to be influenced by them. As the saying goes, we live in the world, we should not be of the world. Romans 12 also makes this clear to us. Be not conformed to this world, but be be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, and acceptable, and perfect world. The believers need to be watchful. Am I, and I do, in a godly companion to others? Or are you a stumbling block to them? Charles Bridges has a good quote: "This fellowship with God is walking in the light. Fellowship with one another is the natural flow, and the uh, communion of the saints is the fruit and the effect of communion with God." So let me, if you like, to first John one, verse three. That which we have seen and heard, and he unto you, that he also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk with darkness, we lie, for do not and we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, cleanses us from all sins. What a blessing it is then when we live in close communion with, the, with our Lord. In close spiritual Fellowship with one another to worship the King of Kings, and Lord of Lords, and my prayer is that we, as a congregation, draw more and more together towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in conclusion, it says here in our last verse, 64, "Teach me thy statutes." Even other of the author of this psalm again says, teach me, in other words, I didn't arrive but I need to know about, to know about the Lord. And how many times have you seen this? in This 119th psalm, this far. I counted at least 14 times that he said, Lord, teach me thy statutes. Teach me thy righteous judgment. present law, your words. As I said at times, the more you know the more you realize you don't. And so the psalmist says again, teach me thy statues. He still wants more of God's word. Look what he wrote in verse 103 to 105 in this big psalm here. How sweet are the words, and to my taste, they sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I haste every false way. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path in his circumstances earlier on. Let's remember what situation the writer found himself in. Besides twenty three, the princess spoke against him, and in verse sixty one the bands of the wicked have robbed him. His life was at times in great danger. People were against him. As a pilgrim, he, he en- endured affliction. Humanly spoken, his life would grim. But he looked up and said, the earth, O oh Lord, is full of thy mercy. How could he say this? As believers, we have two sets of eyes. With one set, we look at the earth with natural ice. Then we see the cords of the wicked encircling us. We see the sinfulness and the seed of this world. And with the other set, we look with spiritual eyes. We see the earth full of God's mercy. We see that in Isaiah 6, after King Isaiah ruled the nation, the land lay in ruins. Then Isaiah said, receive the vision from the Lord. And it says, in the year of King Uzziah died, I, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, above it stood the seraphim; each one had six wings, with he covered his face, with he covered his feet, with he did fly, and one cried to another, and said, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. You see, with natural eyes, He saw the wickedness of the nation. With spiritual eyes, He saw the whole earth is full of His glory. What an astonishing display of the grace of God. Then we are in the midst of need, sickness, pain, poverty, affliction, abundance. It makes for those who have the Lord. Jesus as their portion, happy with unspeakable joy. When Christ dwells in our hearts by faith, we have nothing but goodness and armless. Mm-hmm. Others may complain, but to us even the earth appears, full of the mercy of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. O oh, Father in heaven, we, we come before you and we thank you for our merciful Savior Jesus Christ. We thank you for your great love for sinners. Father, and I pray that you help us to walk in obedience as believers, that it may fall out of our lives because we love the Lord, because you God is first. And help us to reflect in our lives. Reflect on our lives to see how we walk with you. Father, help us to see that we walk in the light of Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.